You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and join me today to help answer all of your Georgia football and a few Georgia-adjacent questions as we attempt to empty out the Week 12 listener mailbag is my coach, Charlie. And Charlie, I'm kind of laughing here because this is take two. Our little inside baseball. We have recorded. I was just going to say it's take two. This is take two. you are clearly tired because you put it on the wrong setting. Uh, well, okay, so... I took my computer to Knoxville with me this weekend, and so I had to unplug, you know, our whole setup here, mics, all that stuff, and when I plugged them back in, I just didn't even think about it defaulting back to, like, the computer's, like, in-house mic and not the actual mics and that we use. And you always get annoyed with me because I'm like, is the right mic on? You do this always... is why I ask. Yeah. I did not ask you're today right. I will never be annoyed with you about that tired, again. and I was trying to... Not annoy you. You're such an incredibly nice person, and here I am just. And so being we got like seven minutes in. But fortunately, I did notice. I was like, "Wait, what's going on? That doesn't the equalizing doesn't look right there." So, um, yeah, that was dumb. But here we are. We're back. Take two. Take two. Here we go. A little inside baseball for you. But Charlie, we got a lot of questions to get to. Obviously. First, though, I know you've already gone through this. We've done this once, but do it for our listeners one more time here. I've got to get your full review of the trip to Knoxville. I know you were certainly dreading the cold. Cold weather's not your friend. It was supposed to be really cold up there. What was your take? Well, as I told you a few minutes ago, well, I've, I've never heard had it this was not as cold as I thought it was going to be. I didn't even have to put my jacket on until the third quarter. Yeah, so I was in the stadium. Um, I was ready to go. I mean, I was. I had like two layers of socks on it, like. Like runners tights on, I was ready to go. I was ready for that cold. I had like three different jackets I was ready to to go with if, if necessary. But I didn't need my jacket on until like basically I put my jacket on and my beanie on. Bald head, you guys know. If you know, you know. Got that beanie on. Got to be ready. Right? Maybe like five minutes before halftime, and then I got to go to the bathroom at halftime. Came back and I was like, I'm hot, and took it off. Um, jacket, beanie didn't go with the rest of the game. So like it was like it wasn't warm. But it, it was not nearly as cold as I thought it was going to be. Even on like Friday night, it wasn't as cold as I was anticipating it being. So no, it wasn't that bad at all. Uh, but besides the culture, you trip to Knoxville. Like, how did you feel about the town? I know that you've you've hammered a couple towns, Jacksonville. You've hammered Auburn all season long. Like, do you have anything nice to say about any other college town in this conference? I really like Knoxville. It's easy to get to. 
Yeah. It's growing. There are some really good restaurants there now. Running. Well, add Nashville to the list of places you've well, I hate hammered. Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Um, good running down on the river. Yeah, it was pretty. You Leaves know, were changing. I thought they would have already yeah, well, that's, changed yeah. and dropped, but they did not. Usually. So I guess that's a good reason to did have you drive global up to the warming. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't drive up through the Smokies. I drove back through the Smokies today. So yeah, um, yeah. Like, I hate to give him any kind of credit, but Knoxville, like... Every time I go there, I start to like it more and more. I still would not say, like, if I had options, I would not choose to live there. But I could live there. Is that fair to say, Charlie? Like, if I had to? Yeah, it's a nice place to live. Yeah, like, compared to some of the other college towns we go to, like, Knoxville's getting nicer, better. Like, like when I was really young, going to, like, my first Georgia-Tennessee games, like, I think I started going to games in 2007 in Knoxville. And I was young, stupid, just out, literally just out of college. Actually, still in college, about to graduate. Um, in December of that year. And so I was like, you know, hanging out like on the strip. I thought that was Knoxville because I didn't know. I was young. I was dumb. I was an idiot. And that's why I didn't have a high opinion of Knoxville. It was like this strip. And you guys know, if you've been in Knoxville, the Cumberland Avenue, the strip, it is nothing. It is terrible. It's, I mean, let's just be real. It's kind of, it's garbage. There's nothing there. It's kind of sleazy a little bit and you kind of get that vibe. But as I've gone a couple more times, many more times, started to stay downtown more. Uh, the downtown's growing. It's nice. Good restaurants, good bars, stock and barrel. If you're ever in the Knoxville area, if you want to go back a couple years, highly recommend. Um, first place, Charlie, I have found Saganaki in the United States, in the South, since my last, since I went to Greece. I think last time I went to Greece was 2013. And for those of you who don't know, Saganaki is like fried feta cheese. And it's like, a, it's in Greece, it's everywhere. And I love it. I basically survived off of that. When I was in Greece, I sought it out and it's everywhere. But I uh, haven't been able to find that here, but they had it at Stock and Barrels. So I got to give them a shout out. That was awesome. But yeah, nice city. Wasn't too cold. I don't love the campus though. I, I like to run on game days and I like to run through campuses. They're campus, Charlie. Super hilly. Well, they don't have that great of a campus, so don't run through it. Yeah, their camp. Well, I mean, I know their it's, campus is not great. It's not a it's very pretty campus. Straight hills. It is all hills, and like I, I was trying to find not hills, and there that, was, that's it called was, the river. Yeah, but see, I mean, I, I ran on the river, but see, Charlie, I run. You know, you got you got to run eight nine miles. You know, you gotta you can't just run on the river forever. So I try to find some areas around the campus, but it was really hard. But you know, that's nitpicking here. It was a good trip. Had a lot of fun actually. I actually left on Thursday. Hit up. I had a little bit of a detour. Charlie went to a concert. In Columbia, South Carolina, before heading over to Knoxville on Friday. So, great weekend, honestly. All in all, big win. I had a good betting weekend, Charlie. Had a really good betting weekend. We'll get to that later in the week. So but, did um, I. You you actually, Charlie, I was really impressed. I made more money than you did this weekend. I mean, on one... Well, did you? Yes. No. Right, right about the same. Are 500 and 700 the same? No, uh, one. Uh, I have multiple accounts, Charlie. Okay, well, I think considering this was like my first yeah. real bet, yeah. I made $700. I think that's pretty good. Tell, tell the listeners how you did this. I picked Mississippi State for the upset. Charlie went like hardcore. Not only did she bet on Mississippi State to cover the five and a half, Charlie went Mississippi State to win on the money line. It was not looking so good at halftime. And we're talking like serious cash. Like Charlie didn't put like $100 on Charlie. Charlie, you made like a... Like when you told me the bet you made, I was like, I like the pick. We both had Mississippi State as our upset special, right? Yeah. And so like I didn't hate the pick, but when you told me like how much money... I had a little more faith than you Yeah, did. when you told me how much money you put on that, I was like, huh? What? 
Um, but it turned out really well for you. So congratulations on that. So yeah, we were in Tennessee, obviously, and so sports gambling is legal in Tennessee. It's not in Georgia. So we were, uh, I think you and I both decided to, like, to, to go all in on that. So we had a lot of fun with that. Both had good weekends there. So that was fun. It was a great weekend, all in all. But uh, all right, Charlie, we got to move on here. We have a lot of questions to get to. Before we do that, we have one more thing we've got to talk about with our listeners. So, Charlie, you live in Athens. You're an Athens local. Normal town. Yes. It's definitely the best part of Athens, Nice right? place to live. It's the best part. I mean, there's a lot of great places out there. Athens is just awesome. You, you, I mean, Boulevard's nice, Five Points nice. But for my money, Normaltown is the place to be. And I think more and more people are realizing that. If you look at how some of the home prices are rising significantly in that area. So, guys, if you're making a trip to Athens, next time you plan a trip to Athens, I'm just telling you, the Normaltown Cottage is your best bet. It's the go-to place to stay in Athens right now. You don't need to worry about the hotels. Don't worry about that. You don't want a small little room where you're banging up against people. You kind of got to finagle your way into the bathroom. You don't want to deal with that. I'm telling you, Normaltown Cottage, Airbnb, look them up on Instagram. You got three bedrooms, kitchenette. Awesome host who takes care of all your needs. And most importantly, off on-street parking that is free. Absolutely free. Because the hotel I stayed at this weekend, it was $30 a night, which is normal. But like $20, $30 a night. A night? Well, I guess for for big weekends like this, yes. So, yeah. It's not nice having to pay for parking. And I will tell you, for football weekends and any big events like that, the hotels downtown will gouge you. Like right, will. so you can stay at the normal town cottage and you don't have to pay extra for don't parking. Don't worry about it. Plus, if you want, so you can share with friends and family and you really don't have to pay that much at all because you're kind of splitting. you got three bedrooms there. So now you got great bars, great restaurants, very unique bars and restaurants right down the street. Literally a very short walk away. Downtown's just right down the street as well. So I'm telling you guys, Normaltown Cottage, check them out on Instagram. You can check them out on our Twitter profile. that We've, we've got a, a tweet pinned to our profile there. Or you can just check them out on, on uh, Airbnb. And for your next day, for whatever reason you're coming to Athens, I'm telling you, just trust us on this. The Normal Town Cottage is your best bet. But all right, Charlie, we got a lot of questions to get to today. What do you got for me? Are we sure the mic is on the right setting? I mean, if it's not at this point, then... Is everything else ready to go? It's just going to be what it's going to be. All right. Well, we have a big picture question to start with. And Tyler, I know how you are when it comes to Georgia football, so you might lose your mind with this question. Oliver wants to know, did Georgia seal its spot in the college football playoff with the win at Tennessee? I know, guys, that we <laughs> I know that we all want it so badly. Trust me, I want it so badly too. But let's just I understand the question. I do get I mean, look, we, we're undefeated in the SEC now. We look like we're staring Alabama straight in the face at another matchup in Atlanta. I get that. And I know you looking down the road, you say Charleston Southern. And Georgia Tech. Yeah, Charleston Southern, Baby Seal. There's going to be some Baby Seal clubbing. And Tech is not good. We should dominate Tech. But, like, you just – you got to respect opponents. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. And our team knows that. Our team is very business-like. I'm really – in past years, I'd be worried about our team. This year, I'm not so much worried about it. We're going to get Tech's best shot. And we got a lot of injuries right now. That doesn't make me feel really great. But I don't care. It's going to – we're we should be okay. But you just you, – you can't look too far ahead. But – Let's just say, I get the question from Oliver. Let's say that we we beat Charleston Southern, we don't slip up against Georgia Tech, and let's say we lose to Alabama. Are we still in? I mean, there's no telling with the committee, but uh, yeah, I would say yes. I think we're in a really good position to still be in. Now, it, it certainly still matters what help, what happens around the country. That's the thing we have to always understand. Like, We don't exist in a vacuum. We're in this larger college football landscape. 
and what happens around us certainly matters. Like you're looking at some teams out there. So Wake Forest sitting there with with one loss. What if they win the ACC title? Because they put a, in the past the, the committees put a premium on championships. Notre Dame, Charlie, is one of those teams that concerns me in this scenario. If we lose to Alabama, they're sitting there with one loss. Now has Notre Dame really beaten anybody? No, and Notre Dame wouldn't have a championship. So I, I still think we'd be in there over them because right now we're ranked number one. Like sitting where we are right now as a clear number one team in the country. I think that really gives us a great shot, especially if the team that we lose to ends up being Alabama and and they only have one loss. Like, Charlie, right now, we're in the position, like I was planning on rooting against Alabama going into the, the SEC championship game, like against Arkansas and against Auburn. But right now, it, it looks like with AM losing, it's probably going to be Alabama. It will, it will be Alabama unless they lose each of their last two games here to Arkansas at home and Auburn on the road. So we need Alabama to win both those games to be as strong of an opponent as we can in the SEC title game, right? Yes. That's what we need right now. So, I mean, I know it's long story short here. Did we seal our spot in the college football playoff? I think we took a very big step towards doing so, ending the SEC season undefeated, 8-0, undefeated for the first time since 1982 in conference. We certainly have to take care of business these next two weeks, but if we get into Atlanta undefeated, unless we get absolutely mauled by Alabama, and I just don't see that happening this defense, we could certainly lose to Alabama getting mauled. I don't know if they'll be able to put up enough points to do that, barring like just an insane number of turnovers and easy scores that we give them. I do think being so strong as the number one seed from the first rankings to this point, and just, I think, honestly, being head and shoulders above higher than everyone else, I think that we have a really good shot, even if we lose Alabama, of still finding our way in the college football playoff. Now, of course, that does depend on what happens also around the country. But Oklahoma going down, that certainly helped our cause there. Cincinnati, be not, like if we lose out, if we lose Alabama, then it'd be nice if Cincinnati loses, so we don't have to worry about that conversation. Should the, a Georgia team that lost SEC title game, should they get in over an undefeated Cincinnati? You just don't want to deal with that conversation. So look, there's no, there's no guarantee here. I would not say that we sealed our spot, but I would say that we took a really big step towards making it very tough on the committee to leave us out if we take care of business these next two weeks of the regular season. Okay. Well, there was a lot of interest in the offensive line um, with this week's question, so we're going to go there for the next few. This week we saw Warren Erickson get replaced by Xavier Truss at left guard on the third series, and Truss took it the rest of the way. Emory Dave wants to know, is it time to make a permanent change at guard? I know that I saw someone comment about once Xavier Trust came in, the offensive line kind of settled down. Well, think about it. He came in the third drive, right, as you yeah. mentioned. And, you know, we in the second quarter, and it wasn't the second quarter quite yet, but from that point on, we really started to make a lot more headway offensively. Because yeah. that second drive, we saw, I mean, back-to-back plays. The first one was Justin Schaefer just got destroyed in pass protection, and there was a sack. And then we tried to run the ball the next play, and Warren Erickson just simply was too slow trying to get his head across the defender, and that play got blown up in the backfield. And after that, it's like, all right, Warren Erickson, you're down. So, And then we didn't – I don't want to sit here and say that we were just dominant offensively the rest of the way. We weren't doing whatever we wanted, but we were certainly operating at a much more efficient level from that point on. It's not all banks as Xavier Trust, but he certainly helped stabilize the line there, give us a little bit more beef as we've been talking about. We need that, need that all year long. But is it time to make a permanent change at right guard? If our coaches believe a guy like Xavier Trust or Devin Willick on the interior are ready to play, if they can trust them to not blow assignments, 
then yeah, I would certainly be in favor of that. I think that gives us the ability to be a little bit more physically imposing on the interior of our offensive line. We've talked about it so many times this season that I don't even know if there's anything I have left to say that I haven't already said about the interior of our offensive line, but you guys know how I feel. We are just not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not beefy enough on the interior of that offensive line with basically two centers playing. Warren Erickson is a guy that our coaches trust. And Kirby, if if anything, if you look at him throughout his career here in Athens, he puts a premium on trust, just knowing that you are feeling that you are not going to blow your assignments. That's priority number one for him to get on the field. He trusts a guy like Warren Erickson who has been here in the program for a long time. That's why it's been difficult for some of those younger, maybe more talented guys, bigger guys certainly on the interior, to unseat him and take that job because they just haven't earned the coach's trust yet, at least in practice. Now, it's hard to do when you don't actually get the reps in games. Practice is one thing. Coaches put a premium on what you do in the games, but if you're not actually in the games, then how do you earn their trust? It's kind of one of those catch-22s. Trust had some reps, and I thought he played well. He was certainly not perfect. There was one play in particular where he just got absolutely decleated by like a 230-pound linebacker. Now, part of that was that he was kind of off balance. He was kind of already tripping anyway. The, the linebacker just absolutely lit him up and knocked him off his feet. But I do think all in all against a defense that was selling out to stop the run, especially on early downs, he did a good job of creating a little bit more movement on the interior than what we had seen from Warren Erickson. There weren't any glaring missed blocks or glaring blown assignments, anything like that. Now to really determine that, you have to know the play, know the responsibilities. You don't always know that. And I've only had a chance to go back and rewatch the game once. That's on my list tonight to go back and watch it again, give it another deep dive. But watching it live and through my first rewatch, granted, I wasn't paying exclusive attention to Xavier Trust. I'll do that more on this re- on the second rewatch. But I didn't see anything that was certainly glaring. I thought he did a good job getting movement. He was pretty sound in his technique for the most part. This is a guy that I had major concerns about if he was going to be our answer at left tackle. I was concerned that he might be coming this season. I just don't think he has the footwork, the quickness to be a left tackle. I've always felt with his size that he was more of a natural guard. I'm really glad that we moved him inside. I think it's more of a natural fit for him. And he's a guy that I certainly think we have to give a longer look to. Now, should he permanently be that guy? I think it depends on practice right now. You go into this week of practice. This is a week where you can really have some competitions. I don't want to say you open up the entire roster to competitions, but spots like this where maybe the coaches have been toying with making a move at different points during the season. They've really wanted to, but it's really hard to do that when you're in the middle of the SEC schedule and every game is so important and every game is, a, I mean, every game, whether you're it's Charleston Southern or Tennessee, it doesn't matter. They're all important, but playing some of those games where you were more likely to be challenged by those SEC opponents it's hard to make that move. It's hard to give those guys reps to get to the point where, where they can show you that they can earn your trust. This might be a game where you can do that. It might be one of those like Ben Cleveland scenarios going back to 2017, if you guys remember what I'm talking about, where Solomon Kinley was our right guard for most of that season, but he had a really poor showing at Auburn. Cleveland comes into that game, played really well, and was in that spot the rest of the way until he got injured. And look, I like Warren Erickson. I value Warren Erickson. I think he gives give something to the team in terms of his leadership. And also, he's a good center. He's a guy that can play center right now. It's just hard to take out Van Prangis. He's getting better and better with each and every game. And I know it's hard for the coaches 
because this guy has been around, Erickson's been around, he's waited his turn, and now it's his time. Then he gets injured. It's really unfortunate. Was, from everything I was told, he was having a really good fall camp. Then he gets injured, and Van Pran comes in. And Van Pran was not ahead of him when Erickson got injured, but now Van Pran's got that experience. He's gotten those reps. He's gotten better. He's improved. It's really hard to take him out of the lineup right now. And again, it's just hard to play in the SEC. If you're talking about winning a national title, it's hard to play with basically two centers on the interior of your offensive line and be able to do anything close to imposing your will, especially when you're in offense. You guys have seen what our offense looked like the past couple weeks. We want to run the football. We were a run-first offense, and I think getting bigger and stronger and beefier, for lack of a better term, on the interior of that offensive line is a good thing. So yes, if I had my way, if again, if our coaches trust that he's ready, it's hard for me to know because I haven't seen him at practice. I haven't seen him at all outside of this game, really, against Tennessee. I thought he played well. So yes, I would be in favor of making that move at this point in the season. So that last one was more of your opinion on whether a permanent change should be made at left guard. Nathan has a bit of a different angle and asks, do you think trust stays at right guard the rest of the way? Okay, so the last question was, do I think there should be a change made? Like my opinion, this one is more so, do I think the coaches will make that move? This is a really tough one to answer. Like I said in the last question, I do think that the competition is now open. Now Kirby did say after the game, that it was really more about Erickson being one of the guys that was down with the flu bug and he wasn't able to play well, kind of like Jalen Carter, who didn't really come in after halftime. And so that's why he didn't come back in the game. That's why we put, we put trust in. But when that happens, even if that's the case, even if that is the case, it's not that he just got benched. Now, in the middle of the game, I, I didn't know what was going on. I thought he just got benched. I remember the, the drive before that, Erickson absolutely whiffed on a play and about got a running back killed. So I thought it was more related to that. But then after the game, you hear what Kirby says. You, obviously, there were the reports that we had kind of the stomach bug going through the team, going through the staff. So that makes sense. And that certainly could be the case. Now, Kirby's not above a little bit of a white lie there to protect his players. He's done them before, and he'll certainly do that again, I'm sure. But look, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that was the case. He was just, he was under the weather. He was sick, flu, all that. But even if that's the case, and it wasn't that he was just not performing well, and they benched him because of that, the fact is, Xavier Trust got a chance to come in. Like I said, it's all about getting reps and showing that you can earn the coach's trust when you get reps. I thought Trust played well. It sucks when a guy loses a job because of injury or because of an illness in this case. That's tough, man. That is really, really tough to get Wally Pipp like that. But look, we're trying to win a national title, man. We are trying to win a national title. I think, as far as I'm concerned, we have given Warren Erickson every opportunity to just take control of that job. And he's had the job all year, so I guess you can say he's had control, but... I feel like from my perspective, watching him play, it's been a very tenuous control in that job because he just hasn't been all that good. He's been fine. It's not so much like blown assignments. He's just not really built to play guard, not with, with the kind of offense that we are trying to run, where we want to impose our will physically on teams. He doesn't really give us the ability to do that. He certainly makes that more difficult to do, at least when he is playing guard, because again, I think he's playing out of position when he's asked to play guard. But I don't know, man. I think this is honestly going to come down to practice. I think Trust certainly gave himself a shot with how he played. I think the coaches are now going to be more open to the possibility of Trust taking that job, but I just have a hard time believing. Warren Erickson has been who Warren Erickson has been all year long, and we haven't made that move. Now, is this the game to try to do? Like I said earlier, sure, but I just, I don't know, man. I have a hard time believing the coaches are going to make this move now at this point in the season with how we've been playing and how we've been winning when they could have done this all year long. It's not like this is a new thing. It's not like the Tennessee game was the first game where you're like, wow, Warren Erickson doesn't really give us exactly what we need to guard. That's been the case basically since week one, guys. I mean, when Tate went out and Warren came in, I mean, again, it's not Warren's fault. I'm not trying to beat up on Erickson here. 
it sucks he's being asked to play out of position. He's done a great job doing what the coaches have asked him to do. He's gone out there. He's fought. He's bled for this team. And I greatly appreciate that. But again, we're trying to win a national title. And if we feel another one of these guys, be it Trust, Willick, whoever it might be, gives us a better chance at guard, then I think you have to explore that. But if you're asking me right now to make a prediction on what the coaches do, I'm going to lean towards them staying with Erickson. I, I, I think that's the more likely scenario. It's not 100%. It's not a done deal. But if it really was the flu, like Kirby said, I think they'll give Erickson another opportunity to go out there and start this game against Charleston Southern. And I, I'm sure, trust, hopefully, you would like to think they'll have a chance to get some reps in this game. Delvin Wilk as well. And if they perform well again, maybe that gives them more opportunity to try to eat into some of those reps. But we're talking about going to the final week of the regular season, guys. After this week, if Erickson does get the start this week, we're going to the final week of the regular season. Is that really when our coach is going to make that move, that permanent move? I think it would be in our, the best interest of the team. I really do, based on how this team is built. But our coaches, especially Kirby, I mean, I, I think Kirby is the best thing that's happened in Georgia football in a long, 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 long time. But one thing to say about him, you can call this criticism if you want to. I don't know if it is criticism. I don't know if I necessarily intended to be that. But he's pretty risk-averse with some of the decisions that he makes in terms of personnel, whether it's a quarterback position, whether it's offensive line here, the guard position. He tries to go the least risky move. He's not going to go in there. Like, there might be a higher upside. Go back to Justin Fields, Jay Fromm. Did Justin Fields have higher upside? Yeah, of course. Of course he did. But Jay Fromm was the less risky move. Sticking with Jake was the less risky move. And Kirby just didn't want to rock the boat there. He, wanted, he knew we had a good team. He knew we had a talented roster around the quarterback. He knew that he didn't need the quarterback to be this like you know elite top five quarterback in the country, although Jake's numbers are actually really good in 2018, but he didn't need the quarterback to be the guy that went out there and was the reason that we won. He needed the quarterback to go out there and not lose games. That was his thinking. And I, I, I just have seen that so many times with Kirby with different positions, not just quarterback. So at this point, I would lean towards saying the coaches keep him there because I, I think just as a rule, our coaches are risk adverse, especially and like, why do they need to take that risk? Honestly, in their minds, uh, I'm just talking about the way that they're looking at this. In their minds, why do we need to take that risk? We're undefeated right now. We're playing well. We just rushed for 273 against Tennessee, and we've run the ball fairly well for the most part this season with Stetson and Corbett. It's kind of changed things. So why rock the apple cart? Why upset the apple cart here this late in the season when Erickson's been a part of this offensive line all season long? So yeah, personally, I would make the move, but realistically, I just don't think it's going to happen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, two more questions about the big uglies on the offensive line. Jonathan asks, What's your starting lineup look like on the offensive line when Salyer comes back? His would be Jones at left tackle, Schaefer at left guard. Uh, Cedric Van Pran at center, Salyer at right guard, and McClendon at right tackle. So what's your take? Okay, good question. Important question. Jonathan, I don't hate that lineup. I don't hate that lineup at all. I think it's probably a better lineup than what we have right now. Broderick has done a good job when he's gotten time with some of the injuries that Salyer has dealt with throughout the season. Obviously, going back to the Auburn game, he played more than half that game, played all this game, two hostile environments. I thought he did a good job in both of those games. However, I would still be in favor of sticking with Salyer at left tackle right now. I know that Roger Jones is certainly more of a prototype. I know long-term he's the better prospect as a tackle. I still very strongly believe that Jamari Salyer is better as a guard. I think that's where his long-term future is in the NFL. I think he knows that. Our coaches know that. You and I know that. We all know that. But left tackle is one of the most important positions on the field, right? Quarterback is clearly the most important position. Then the guy who protects quarterback, your left tackle, and then the guys that get after the quarterback. Those are typically the most important guys on the field, and that's why those guys get paid that way at the NFL level. I like what I've seen from Broderick. I think he has a really high upside. I still think he needs to continue to get bigger and stronger and more physical. That will come with time. He's still very young. He got, like I said last week, he got a little bit behind last year. In that regard, when he when he suffered that injury, he was making some pretty big moves, got injured, and then he couldn't really work out, and it was tough for him to get caught back up. He's still trying to catch up. He's, he's caught up a lot, but he's still trying to catch up in that regard, and that's where he needs to continue to improve. Now, as an athlete, he is, might be, no, I would say probably is, the most athletic of our offensive linemen. I'm very high on his long-term future. But again, we're talking about a national championship season. That is the goal. That's what we're shooting for. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that happens. And that left tackle spot is so critical. Jamari Salyer is a guy that I just trust out there more at left tackle than Broderick Jones. He's got the reps. He's got the experience. He's seen it. He's gone against the high-level guys more than Broderick Jones has. And those are the kind of guys we're going to be facing here the next couple, maybe not these next two weeks, but the weeks after that, those are the kind of guys that we're going to be playing. I just would feel much more comfortable having the experienced player at left tackle than having it at the guard position. To me, I think we can get away a little bit with having more inexperience on the interior. Now, you don't want to be inexperienced have guys blow assignments anywhere, but I think you can hide that a little bit more, and it's less impactful if that is the guy that you put at guard. So I would stick with Salyer at left tackle right now. And, and again, I'm very open to what you said. I think it's a better lineup than what we've got right now, but I would stick with Salyer at left guard because the ex- or left tackle because of the experience and I would prefer to have Truss or Willick or whoever can take that job at left guard or right guard slide in there for Warren Erickson. That would be my purpose. So I would go Salyer left tackle, Schaefer left guard, I guess. He's he's what we've got there, guys. I know that he spends more time on the ground than any offensive lineman ever has any business doing, but at least he does have that size. He's the only guy we have in the interior right now that actually has some size, actually has some beef in there. So I, I guess stick with him at left guard. Obviously, Van Pran at center. I would go, I guess right now, Truss or Will, but Truss was the first guy off the bench. Let's go Truss at right guard and Warman Clinton. Let's stick with him at right tackle for now. That would be my starting five on the offensive line. 
All right, Adam wants to know, do you see Sherman getting some playing time in the next couple of weeks? He says he was highly ranked and he was stoked when we got him, but now that he's been here a couple years, he thought he'd be getting more playing time. What are your thoughts? Can you just not pronounce that first name? I can't see it. Oh, okay. Mikhail Sherman. My eyes don't work very well. That's okay. Mikhail. Really, I feel like it's blown up very large for you to see there. I mean... Do you need the eye doctor? I do. I actually need I, to I do that I think that you might. Week. I mean, that's yeah. not like me taking a shot at you. I think you might need to go get those things okay. checked out. Answer the question and stop right, making fine, fun fine, of fine, me. Fine. This is a great question, Adam. I really appreciate it, man. This is a guy that we haven't really talked about all season. I don't, I'm pretty certain that we haven't had any questions about Mikhail Sherman this season, at least during the season, maybe in the offseason we did, but we haven't had anything during this 2021 season. And he's a guy now with some of the attrition that we're experiencing at the outside linebacker position that is going to have to play. There's not a question of is he going to play if it's going to happen. It's how much is he going to play. This guy is going to have to play for us. We were really top-heavy at outside linebacker coming into the season. Jermaine Johnson transferring like he did really kind of hurt the depth there. This is a position, it's crazy how this happens. This is a position a year or two ago that was the deepest on the team. We were just low to the guys. And that's why a guy like Jermaine Johnson decided to transfer because he just wasn't getting reps. And he wasn't sure he was going to get those reps this season. And Nolan Smith, the guy that's playing as well as he's playing right now, former number one overall recruit in the country, was asking Kirby Smart if he could get reps on the scout team just to get more reps the past couple of years. We were just loaded there. Not the case right now. We were loaded with, with the top two with Adam Anderson and, and Nolan. But with Anderson dealing with his situation, I don't, at this point, anticipate him coming back. I think it'd be just gravy if he does. I'm just not counting on that happening. And then Nolan suffering the injury in the Tennessee game. Now, it seems to be like it's just a minor bruise type injury. There's nothing dislocated or broken there, which is awesome news because we just can't afford him to be to be out for any extended period of time with the way that he's playing, just the lack of depth at that position. But behind those two guys, we were always really thin at that position. Robert Beal is a guy who is getting pretty significant reps for us all season. Obviously, now with Anderson out, his reps are going up. And this is a guy that was a, a pretty big recruit years back, but really hasn't been a factor at all. In fact, he's one of the guys that, you know, a couple years into his career, I was expecting him to transfer. I was fully expecting him to transfer, but he didn't. He stuck around. And he's one of those guys you have a lot of respect for, like Latavius Green. He stuck around and is now finally reaping the benefits of that and is getting some playing time. But as much as I appreciate him and as much as we need him right now, he's not like a game-changing talent at the outside linebacker position. He just not, he's not that kind of guy. He's a guy that, that can give you good quality reps, and he's done that all season for us, but he's not a guy that's going to go out there and strike fear in the hearts of opposing offensive coordinators and be like a game changer at that position. It's not to mean that he can't make plays, but he's not a guy that, that you have to game plan around. Chaz Chambliss is a guy that actually came in late in the game against Tennessee, and I know when that happened and Sherman didn't come in, I actually got a lot of questions asking like, well, hey, well, what's going on here? Did, did Chambliss pass Sherman? Like, why aren't we seeing Sherman? What's going on there? And really all it is, guys, is Sherman was one of the guys that had the stomach bug. He had the flu and wasn't ready to play, wasn't in a position to do that, so that's why Chambliss got in there. Now, I've heard some good things about, about Chaz, even going back to, to preseason camp. He's a guy that, that has a really high motor. He's one of those dudes that just goes to work every single day, and I do think he has underrated athleticism. He's not, obviously, Nolan Smith. He's not Adam Anderson. He's not that level athlete, but I think he is sneaky athletic, and I fully expect him to be a guy that's going to contribute at the outside linebacker position here in the next couple of years, and maybe as early as this year with some of the injuries that we're dealing with right now, especially over these next two weeks against Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. But I do think Sherman will be a guy that will see a lot of snaps in these next two games, especially if Nolan's not able to go. I don't expect Nolan to play this week against Charleston Southern. 
against Tech, that remains to be seen. I would still prefer Nolan be able to play in that game. I know, I know, I know, it's Tech, it's Tech. We're just going to roll over him, right? But I don't want to take any chances. I don't want to take any chances with this season. We've gotten this far to this point, and we do, the last thing we want is to let Tech think they have any sort of hope. So I would prefer Nolan Smith play. That's just me. But regardless, Mikhail Sherman's going to have to play. Once he gets over the stomach bug, he's going to have to play because we just want the bodies right now. Think about it. If Nolan doesn't play next week, who do we got at outside linebacker? We got Robert Beal, you got Chaz Chambliss, you got Mikhail Sherman. And I know Xavier Sori, I guess, but he's a guy that hasn't really played at all. He hasn't factored in the equation at all. He's still learning how to play that position. He wasn't really that type of player coming to high school. I'm really high on his long-term potential, but he's not quite there yet. So it's those three guys. So Sherman's definitely going to have to play, at the very least, big snaps against Charleston Southern. I think there's a really good chance, and it's probably likely at this point that he's going to have to play a large role the final week of the season in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. And as to the last part of your question, Adam, I, I'm still really high on Mikhail Sherman. I know we have a tendency as fans when these guys are pretty highly rated recruits, and he was a former five-star guy at a time. Um, he got injured, and he ended up dropping to a high four-star, but he still he was a highly rated recruit coming out of the Washington, D.C. area. And obviously, when you have guys like that that you sign, the expectation is they come in and they play right away. And if they don't have that immediate impact, you kind of start hearing the chirping like, hey, like, What's wrong with this guy? Is he kind of overrated? Is he not as good as we thought he was? I think the reality for Mikhail Sherman is that he was just stuck behind some studs outside linebacker. I mean, we're talking about Aziz Ojulari. He's tearing it up in the NFL right now. Might be the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year this year. I think he's got a really good chance to win that. Jermaine Johnson was in that room last year, and he obviously transferred to Florida State. And by the way, you guys think Jermaine Johnson regressed that transfer? I don't know, man. I, I I think he's got to at this point. I know he's playing a lot of snaps there, and he's like their best player on defense, so maybe that's what he was going for. But he would have gotten a lot of snaps this year, a lot more than he's had in the past. And he also had to play for a national championship contending team as opposed to that train wreck in Tallahassee. You got to think he's regretting that decision right now. But whatever. That's on him. But you're behind that guy, behind Adam Anderson, behind Nolan Smith. All these guys are studs in that position. So I don't think it's so much a reflection on him. I think it's just more of a reflection on how good those guys are ahead of him. He's just younger. He's got to catch up. I still have high expectations for Sherman. I I fully expect Sherman to be a starter for us next year, to at least certainly be in that conversation, be in the rotation. And I think he's going to make a big impact for our defense moving forward. Just hasn't had the opportunities at this point. Okay, well, we all know it would not be a glory UGA 2021 season mailbag episode without the obligatory quarterback question. And our good friend Cliff does the honors this week. Is it fair to say Stetson is starting in large part to how shaky the offensive line play has been. Excuse my voice. Wow, you did a lot of I was screaming, yelling. Huh? I was yelling a lot this weekend. He says, pass protection has not been as clean as Daniels needs it to be, and the offensive line play is more concerning than quarterback play, in his opinion. Is he wrong? Cliff, my friend, you are not wrong at all. As usual, you are dead on with this, man. The reality is, our offensive line is just not great in pass protection. Now, we've been able to mask that. And I know a lot of you might look at the stats and say, well, Tyler, what are you even talking about, man? We've only given up seven sacks all season. That's second nationally. We'll only give up seven sacks. That looks really good on the surface, right? But this is one of those stats that can really be misleading. Sure, we've only given up seven sacks on the season, but we've also only thrown the ball 245 times all year. That is 13th in the SEC in pass attempts. So clearly, this is a case of, yeah, we haven't given up that many sacks because we haven't thrown the ball that much. We haven't given our offensive line that many opportunities to give up sacks. 
It's basically like the same philosophy that service academies employ. Why has there been a service academy team, either Air Force, Army, or Navy, number one in the country in sacks allowed in four of the last five seasons? Because they don't ever throw the football. If you don't throw the football, you're not going to give up a lot of sacks. And that's, I mean, obviously to a lesser degree, but that's kind of the situation for us this year. And this is a big reason. Cliff, you're exactly right, man. This is a big reason why I think that I'm growing to understand and believe that Stetson is the right quarterback for this team. We don't have much of a drop back pass game. Even when Stetson throws it, very rarely is it just the straight drop back pass game. We'll do some play action. We roll the pocket. We get him off his spot because we're trying to protect the offensive line. Play action, those are slower developing plays. Offensive line typically has to hold up a little bit longer in, in protection there. But the reason it's effective and it kind of helps the offensive line out is because the defense has to, hes has to hesitate. They have to play the run first. And that split second hesitation gives the offensive line just enough time to hold up in protection. Rolling this out of the pocket on sprint action, on bootleg action, that is what we're doing more often than not when we throw the football. It's play action, screen, sprint, bootleg. That's essentially what we do in the pass game. Just taking the ball from center and just straight drop back pass game, we don't do a ton of that. I'm not saying we don't ever do it. We just don't do a ton of that. And I think a big reason for that, number one, that's not really what fits Stetson's skill set. That's not what makes him unique. And number two, our offensive line is just not really all that well equipped to hold up in pass protection that long, that consistently. So that's one of the reasons, number one, why I think that Kirby Smart continues to go with Stetson as our quarterback. It certainly helps mitigate some of those pass protection issues with the offensive line. And that's why you see such few examples of us using the actual drop back pass game because we just simply aren't equipped to do that right now. It's an example of Todd Munkin really working with what he has. Arvin's of mine is not a disaster, guys. I don't want to make it out to be that way. I know we've kind of bashed them today and in previous weeks as well. It's not about that. I'm not out to bash them. I'm just trying to look at this objectively. And as a guy who just so desperately wants to win a national title, I'm really trying to look at, okay, this team, we're so good in so many spots. Where are those potential areas of concern that can be exploited when we play those better teams down the way, whether it's Alabama, whoever it might be, if we end up fortunately making the college football playoff, if we get to that point, where are the areas of concern? And I think the offensive line is absolutely the biggest area of concern. Now, that does not mean that they're a disaster. It's all relative to the other position groups on our team. We're just so good everywhere else that our offensive line is just not quite to that level. It's still good compared to most teams in the country. It's just not as good as some of the other units on the team. And I do have concerns. Like, for example, I think Alabama is a team pretty clearly at this point, unless they lose each of the last two games, I think it's highly unlikely. They're the team we're going to play in Atlanta. Will Anderson is a beast. All right, there are holes in the Alabama defense. Will Anderson is not one of them. That guy is a flat-out monster. He's super talented, and he has an incredibly high motor, and that is really tough to deal with. So playing a guy like that in the future, that gives me concerns with our pass protection. I mean, J.D. Daniels would just be a sitting duck back there for a guy like Will Anderson. Stetson is not the most athletic quarterback in the world, but he has mobility. And we've seen him not just escape pressure, but make plays when he escapes the pocket, which is something that we've not really had in a guy that's been our starting quarterback. So yeah, I think that's why we're going with Stetson. And I think that's why Stetson is the right quarterback for this team this season.
All right, Nicobe Dean has taken the nation by storm since all the way back in week one against Clemson. So Justin wants to know if Nicobe Dean is a lock for the Buckets Award at this point. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, I would say absolutely. I mean, the thing with him is he's putting up the production, but when you're talking about awards, it's all about name recognition, right? It's about brand, value, and all that. Your team is doing real, really well. Well, he hits all those things. He's got the production. His team is number one in the country, and people around the country know who he is. If you're a defensive player and you're a household name on that side of the ball, then, yeah, there's a really good chance you're going to win some sort of national award. So right now, I think, I mean, I don't want to say lock because I don't trust the voters, the people who vote on these things. They just don't really know football, in my opinion. But as far as I'm concerned, if I was voting, yes, Nakobe Dean is the clear favorite for the Buckets Award. I hope they don't screw this one up. Hopefully not. All right, well, there was a lot of concern in the UGA fan base when the Adam Anderson story broke a few weeks ago, and I think in large part uh, that concern still lingers. So with that in mind, Jonathan wants to know, after seeing two games now without Adam Anderson, what have you seen the defense do differently to replace him? And also, how how have the guys that have took his reps performed so far? A tough one for, to read there. Sorry. Huh? It's all right. It's Again, all good. it's, it's all good. late. I'm going to give you, now that I know that you're blind, I, I'm going to say it's okay. I'm not going to make fun of you anymore. But this is an awesome question, Jonathan. I think it's a really important question because losing Adam Anderson, again, I think probably for the rest of the season. At this point, I'm just expecting him to be gone. If he comes back, that's incredible. I just don't see that happening. I, I'm not a legal expert. We'll get Curtis on here, and he can fill us in on, on the likelihood of him coming back. But right now, these things can take a long time, and I just don't think that we should expect him to be back. That sucks. He was a big-time playmaker for us. He's a guy that gave us a lot of versatility and allowed us to do some different things defensively, and we've now got to find a way to replace what he gave us. One of the things that we're starting to see, and this is what I really expected to happen, we have three awesome inside linebackers, and those guys are very versatile themselves, especially a guy like Quay Walker, who's a guy that has the the background and really the physical profile and the skill set to not just be a really good pass rusher. I mean, all of our linebackers are really good pass rushers. I mean, Nicobe Dean, according to Pro Football Focus, take that for whatever it's worth, is the top-rated linebacker in terms of pass rush in the country. So we know what he can do. We've seen it all season long. Chain Tindall just racked up three sacks against Tennessee last year. That guy is shot out of a cannon when he's given the opportunity to do that. And really what he was doing a couple of times in that game, especially that last one where he forced the fumble, it was it was, it was was basically like a green dog blitz. The linebacker or the running back stays in. He's kind of mirroring the quarterback. When the quarterback tries to escape the pocket, that's when the linebacker triggers. He's mirroring him. That's what we call it in our defense. And when Hooker left the pocket, that's an automatic trigger for, for Tyndall. And again, shot out of a freaking cannon. Hinton Hooker had no chance and he made that play. So he's great. Nicobe's great. Quay's great. But they have different skill sets in how they rush the passer. Quay is more equipped than either or any of those three guys to rush the passer off the edge and play a little bit out there. So I think you're going to see more of that. I think you'll see those three guys out there together more than you have in the past. Uh, even if it's not necessarily together, you'll see two linebacker, two inside linebackers out there, maybe instead of one inside linebacker in our dime package. Because now we have different variations of our dime package, but the variation that we go with most commonly, we have six DBs on the field, we have two cornerbacks, we have a star defender, and we basically, we've had three safeties on the field this year. Lewisine plays the money position. We bring Dan Jackson to play safety there. Effectively, we have three safeties on the field. Then we usually have... At least Adam Anderson on the field, usually Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith on the field at the same time, those third down situations. And then you've got 
a couple of defensive tackles, usually more of our speed rush type guys. You got Trayvon Walker, Devontae White, or, Tra- or Trayvon and Jalen Carter. Those guys there rushing the passer from the interior. Now what you're probably going to see is instead of Adam Anderson out there, you're probably going to see Quay Walker or Jane Tindall. I think you're going to see some sort of combination of two of those inside linebackers in those situations because those guys do have such great versatility. Another thing that we have done the past couple weeks with Anderson not in the game is we started to use Trayvon Walker in a couple of different ways. He's another guy that has a lot of versatility. We've seen him drop back into pass coverage and be really effective at that, going back to the Florida game with that tip interception that ultimately ended up landing in Nolan Smith's arms, but that was Walker who made the great pass deflection there. So not only is he a guy that can just drop into coverage and take up a zone, he's going to actually make plays doing that, but he's also a guy that can rush from the interior and from the edges, and we're seeing him use it in even more different ways than we've used in the past. So we have other options. Losing out Adam Anderson is never a good thing. That guy's a playmaker. We are not better without Adam Anderson, but we're fortunate that we have a bunch of guys that are very versatile and very athletic that we can do different things that we can mix, mix and match. And I'll also say this. In some ways, like I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise. So it's, again, we're not better without Adam Anderson on the field, on this team. But in some ways, it might actually help us because we are doing different things defensively, especially in those passing situations with Adam Anderson not in the game. We're giving teams different looks by necessity because we don't have Anderson. We're having to get more creative. We have to do different things. And we have different packages. Those things aren't on tape. Really, I guess you know this week against Tennessee, it's on tape. Last week against Missouri, a little bit's on tape. But they don't have near as much tape on what we're doing right now. We have more things that we can pull out that teams have not seen as we enter the, the, the postseason. So I think in some weird, strange way, it might actually work to our benefit, even though it's really tough to lose a guy the caliber of Adam Anderson. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, after tying his career high with 104 yards rushing against Tennessee and scoring five touchdowns over the last weeks, uh, James Cook is really making a case for more touches. On that first touchdown run in the stadium, I thought the safety had the angle on it. It looked like Cook. he did, right? Like I thought there was no chance the safety was gonna, that he but, was going yeah. to be able to break that tackle. He just ran right past him for the touchdown and made it look so effortless. Cliff asked, should James Cook be the number one running back moving forward and switch to using Zamir White to bully teams late in games? So this is our second question from Cliff. He snuck a second one in here this week. And for the second time in this same episode, Cliff is 100% spot on. I'm right there with you, brother. James Cook needs more touches. I know that we like to distribute those touches between our different backs. We want to give everybody touches. We want to give everybody happy. You got to feed everybody. I understand that. You want to keep guys fresh. I get it. It makes sense. But at some point, when you get late in the season, and maybe we didn't need to do it against Tennessee. We, we ran away with that game. At some point, we're going to need to ride the hot hand. And right now, James Cook is the hot hand. You know, in the middle of the season, it looked like Zamir White was that guy. But 
as we've gotten later in the season, as the season has progressed, more and more, James Cook is becoming that top playmaker at the running back position. Zeus still has a ton of value for this team. He's still awesome. I still stand by what I said earlier in the year about him. He's improved so much where he was earlier in his career coming off those two ACL injuries. And Zeus is a guy that absolutely needs touches. And he's, he's a guy that is the right fit and the right guy in certain situations. But James Cook is a playmaker extraordinaire, and he's so versatile. He gives us that versatility in a way that Zamir White can. Here's the thing with Cook. Forever, forever, the knock on him, and Curtis and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, the knock on him was that he was a quote-unquote scat back. And I've always hated that term with Cook, because when I've watched him play, I've always felt he could run between the tackles effectively. People are kind of comparing him to Zamir White and Nick Chubb and those kind of guys that ran with the power that they did between the tackles. James Cook's not that kind of guy. I will readily admit that. But that doesn't mean he's incapable of running between the tackles. That doesn't mean he can only operate on the edges. Now, I do think he's very dangerous on the edges, but he's a guy that can absolutely make plays between the tackles. The long touchdown run he had against Tennessee started between the tackles, guys, and he was able to use his vision, get into space, and the rest was history. The longest run from scrimmage for one of our running backs this season. In fact, I think our three top runs from scrimmage this season from the running back position, I think are James Cook, at least our top two, I think our top three, if I remember that correctly, are from James Cook. He's clearly our most explosive running back. He's our smoothest running back. I think he, comparing him with, with Zeus, I think he has the better vision between those two. I think Kenny McIntosh also has really good vision as well, but if we're talking about Cook and, and Zeus, who should be running back one right now. I think Cook does a does he just does more. He just does more than Zamir. He's also bulked up. He's really improved his ability to take contact and continue to move. Now he's still not elite in that regard. He doesn't break tackles the way that Zamir White does, but he's certainly improved in that regard throughout his career. And what he gives us in the passing game is absolutely lethal. If we roll with this guy for an entire possession, Think about the different looks we can give defenses and really make it tough for them. Think about this situation, guys. Let's say we come out there with 12 personnel. You got one running back, James. We've got two tight ends. You got Darnell Washington, and you got Brock Bowers. Both those guys are capable, uh, the tight ends are capable of lining up out wide on any given snap. Same with James Cook. So on one snap, we have 12 personnel, you have two tight ends in line, and you run the ball right at them. What do defenses have to do? They have to respond with bigger personnel, run-stopping personnel. When they do that, if we don't sub with that same personnel, we can split both those tight ends out wide. Now you've you've got two-by-two two formation. With the same personnel, 12 personnel, you got two by two personnel. And oh, what can you also do? You can also slide James Cook out in the slot. Now you've got three by two and you've got an empty formation and they've got their run heavy personnel on the field. Game over advantage Georgia. Those are the kind of things that we can do with the personnel that we have. And James Cook is a guy that can do that in a way that Zamir White simply cannot. So yes, right now with the way he's making plays, five touchdowns over the last three games combined, James Cook needs to be running back one, and he's he needs to get more than, I think, 14 touches against Tennessee. This guy needs 20-plus touches a game right now. All right, another James Cook question. Guy says he's been big on James Cook his entire career, but what is the most important thing he has improved upon during his time at UGA? His vision, surviving first contact, or is it simply that we make it a point to get him more involved now? Yeah, this is a great follow-up question to that last question. What has made James Cook more effective this season? I think a big part of it is the last thing that you said there, Guy. I think we are just 
making more of a point to get him the football. He's more of a feature part of our offense. Now, he's still not a feature part of our offense, the feature part of our offense, as we split the reps between our running backs. I don't say completely evenly, but we we certainly distribute those carries between three guys, four guys when Kendall Milton gets back healthy. So he just doesn't get the touches that I think he deserves, like I said in that last question, but he's certainly getting more touches. He's more part of this offense than he ever has been before. And we're also using him like a real running back forever we just simply did not use him as a real running back he was the guy he was the jet motion guy he was the guy you run fly sweeps with kind of the change of pace back trying to give them a different look at the defense as a constraint to worry about and you might occasionally put him in the slot and run a screen something like that but he was just never really a feature part of our offense he was a bit player he was a role player at best his first couple years here in Athens but this year that has all changed we're using him like a real running back we're actually allowing him to play running back and run everything that all of our other running backs do. We're not using him as the role player. He's a guy that is a true, legit running back one option. So I think that's the biggest reason why you're seeing this jump from James Cook in his senior season. And aren't we glad this guy came back? He legitimately was thinking very strongly about making the jump last year. He decided to come back. I think it's really worked in everyone's best interest. It's worked in his best interest. It's worked in our best interest. So it's really great to see a situation like this where it's working out for all parties involved. But I'm also going to give James Cook some credit here. He's a guy that over the years has really worked on his body. He's gotten his body stronger, thicker. He's become more powerful. He's still not the most powerful runner. There's still too many times where he has kind of like the, the Keith Marshall syndrome where he gets tripped up by the shoelaces far more than I would like for him to. And there's just so many plays I've seen throughout his career where it's like James Cook's about to take off. He's about to bust the big, long, explosive play. But it's one little shoelace tackle that, that brings him down. So that still happens from time to time. I think it's happening with less frequency than it's happened in the past. And honestly, now being a senior, I think you can also say he's just more comfortable in the system. He has more grasp of what we do. Um, he knows more positions. He understands how to operate in the slot. He understands how to operate from the running back position, pass protection, all those things that go along with playing running back. And also like being versatile, having the skill set to be versatile is one thing, but knowing different positions is a different thing. And I think now he's just more comfortable doing that. And I do think Todd Munkin has really realized what kind of weapon he has in James Cook and is making more use of him than any coordinator has throughout his career. And I certainly think our offense is better off for it. All right. And our final question for this mailbag episode, uh, we have a question from Trey and he never disappoints with his questions. He has another good one for us to end with this week. He says, the SEC is where offense comes to die. Right now, we probably have three of the top seven defensive coaches on our staff. Who do you think are the best defensive coaches? And since there are so few, why do people discount them? says offensive genius is common. Defense, not so much. Think you're talking about Dan Mullen there, the offensive I genius? I think that's a great question, Trey. That's a really good question. Yeah, different. Speaking Thank of you. offensive geniuses, Charlie, how about Dan Mullen, eh? Oh, gosh. I, for, there was a legitimate, actually more than a second, I thought they were actually going to lose that game. How happy do you think Todd Grantham is? Probably pretty happy. I mean, he probably enjoyed watching them give up 52 points. I mean, he points. probably likes, the, you know, he's got some relationships with the players and the coaches, the, the, like Christian Robinson and his coaches that are still on staff, but like he probably was not upset that Dan Mullen was sweating it out yet again. Yep. Do you think he's going to survive? Like he didn't lose that game, but I mean, if you're a Florida fan, you might as well have lost the game. Well, you have to remember that the AD hired him and they were both at Mississippi State. Yes, but actually, from what I hear, and I'm not a Florida insider, obviously. Maybe they but don't like, get they along. Don't, yeah, don't there's know. not necessarily all that much love lost between them. Who do they have left to play? They've got Missouri at Missouri. Missouri's not great, but it's going to be cold, Charlie. 
Florida has a history of not performing well okay, against so Missouri at Mizzou and Columbia and, and then Florida State, Florida who's actually State. playing better. Like Florida State is playing better than Florida right now. Yeah. I mean, at what point in the year did like early in the year we would never have thought we would say that, but right now he they might are. get fired. I don't know. I he has not engendered any sort of love in that administration with how he handles himself because he is a clown. But okay, let's get to Trey's question here, and we'll get out of here on this one. This is a really good question, Trey. I would push back ever so slightly. I think the SEC is where some offenses come to die, but there are still some pretty high-profile offenses in the SEC. Alabama, I know this year, is not quite to the level as they they were the past couple years offensively. They're still really good on offense. LSU, not this year, but go back to 2019, is one of the best offenses that we've ever seen in the history of college football. Ole Miss has been really good offensively. Mississippi State now with the air raid is good offensively. There are plenty of offenses in this league that are that are putting up numbers. But I get where you're going with here. Defensively, especially this season, we've seen certainly a rise. And, and kind of the, the defense is striking back. We're top five nationally, obviously, until defense. Alabama's top five nationally. AM has been hovering around the top five, top ten all season until they just got lit up by Ole Miss last week. But they're really good on defense. Mississippi State's a top 30 defense nationally. So I totally get where you're coming from. There are some really good defenses in this league, and there are some absolutely elite defenses, obviously headlined by the Georgia Bulldogs. But the last part of your question is what I love. This is really what I want to get to. Why don't defensive coaches get the love, the attention that these quote-unquote offensive geniuses a la Dan Mullen always get? And the instant has always bothered me. You guys know I've talked about this many times on this show the past couple years when people try to say that Dan Mullen is a better coach than Kirby Smart. I have been offended by that assertion because I think it's ludicrous. And all they point at is, well, look what Dan Mullen does with, with lesser talent. He puts up all these points. Like, yeah, when he plays Kirby Smart's defenses, it ain't happening. Like one time in the history of his coaching career when he's faced a Kirby Smart defense has he had really any sort of success. I mean, even when he had Dak Prescott, Dak freaking Prescott, Kirby Smart shut him down for, for the most part in that game. So I've always been bothered by this. And I know I shouldn't let things like this bother me, but it just annoys me. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about why. Why don't defensive coaches get more love? And the conclusion I've come to, and I could be wrong here, but this is just my opinion on the matter. I simply think the vast majority of the football media and really the vast majority of just college football fans in general don't really understand defensive football. They don't understand the intricacies behind it. They don't understand coverages. They don't understand pressure packages. They don't really understand the different personnel packages that teams have and what teams are trying to do defensively as much as they do offensively. Offense, is just it's just simpler to understand. It really is. It's like, okay, it's first and 10, we should run the football. Oh, it's third and 10, we should throw the football. Oh, this guy threw for 400 yards. He must be really good. Oh, this guy ran for 100 yards. He must be really good. This guy caught 200 yards worth of passes this game. He must be really good. That It's easier to understand. It, it, it's more stat-driven than defense. Like a guy like Jordan Davis. Why is Jordan Davis not in the Heisman Trophy conversation? Because he doesn't put up stats. His value is not measured in stats. It's just simply not. Even a guy like Nicobe Dean, what he does is more measurable by stats. As you can look, you can look at sacks and tackles and things like that, but not to the degree of a quarterback or a running back or a receiver or a tight end. It's just more difficult to measure their impact. And just I, I really believe this. Your average college football fan, your average 
member of the college media, they just don't simply understand football on a deep enough level to really understand the impact that some of the defenders are making and understand what these coaches are doing defensively. They don't understand why George is able to shut down Clemson. They don't understand why, other than saying, well, Clemson offensive line is really bad. Okay, cool. What do we do to exploit that? They can't really explain that. How was Georgia able to slow down Tennessee's explosive offense? Well, they just have really good players. And and Hindenhooker, you know, he had some ball sale on him. Georgia just really dialed up the pressure. Okay, what exactly did we do to dial up the pressure? What kind of coverages were we showing behind that pressure to really make it tough on Hindenhooker and for the Tennessee offense to hit those explosive plays? They can't answer that. They don't know the answer to that. It's just much easier for them to explain offense than it is to explain defense. It's just really that simple to me. I, I really believe that's what it comes down to. I mean, I would really love to get, let's get like the top 10 members, whoever you want to pick, pick the top 10 members of what you would consider the, the national cultural media and let's get them down in the room and let's give them a test. Let's ask them just, hey, here's question number one. Tell me what quarters coverage is. Simple. What is quarters coverage? Tell me anything about quarters coverage. I don't know if half of them could tell you anything about quarters coverage. They might say, well, you divide the field into four quarters. Okay, that's something, but it's so much more than that. And they just, they can't tell you. They don't understand it. And I think that's the issue. Offensive football is just easier to understand. And because of that, they give those offensive coaches a lot more love than they do the defensive coaches. I'm sure there's something else behind it there, but this is a question that I've really just, I've really struggled with for years, especially since Kirby Smart became our head coach. And that's the best answer I got for you right now. I'd love to hear some other people's thoughts on that as well, but that those are my thoughts on that question. But all right, guys, that's a great question to end on. We appreciate all the questions that were sent in. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back later on this week, a little bit of a different week. We're not going to do a Charleston Southern preview. So again, if you have any questions that you would like to answer, like us to answer about recruiting, we're doing a recruiting-specific episode. We might throw some bonus mailbag questions in there that got sent in after we record this episode, but we're going to try to focus a little bit on recruiting because we don't get a chance to do that much during the season. we got signing day coming up in just a matter of weeks, guys, and we have, again, taken over the number one spot in the 247 composite rankings. So we'll, we'll focus on recruiting a little bit here this week and then Charlie and I will be back at the end of the week for our picks of the week. So still a lot of great content for you guys the rest of the week. Thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.